Let's dive into the word. We're talking about serving today, uh, and, and you're going to hear me use the terms serving and servant interchangeably, okay? Uh, primarily, we're talking about what it means to be a servant. And would you just help me with your mindset for one moment, and would you take your mindset deeper than volunteering in church, okay? That's not what we're talking about. That is part of it, right? And that's a super important part of it, but we're not talking, when we talk about being a servant and serving, we're not talking about load in, load out, welcome team, guest experience, kids, production, anything. We're talking about something deeper than that. Those things flow out of a heart that is committed to be a servant, okay? So let me read you the passage of scripture. It's the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Here we go. It says, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. Catch that. You know, there's been a theme that we've caught this morning. If you were near the very beginning, we talked about bowing before the Lord. Then we sing worship songs about bowing before the Lord. And then we're reading a passage of scripture where someone is coming and they're asking something of Jesus. And what do they do? They bow before the Lord. There's some reverence to be learned there. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Verse 23, Jesus told them, you will need to drink from my bitter cup, but I have, I have no right to say, who will sit on my right or on my left? My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Verse 24, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant, they were furious, filled with a jealous rage. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Verse 26, but among you it will be different. Circle those words in your Bible. Underline them, write them down in your notes, but among you it will be different. There should be something different in this house than out there. There should be something noticeably felt difference. He said, but among you it will be different. Now here is what's different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Verse 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. He says, in my house, it will be different. I've got a really good friend who uh, lives in North Carolina now, and he and I, we're just, we're on the same wavelength, man. And he, uh, I wrote about this in a daily presence, actually, I just remembered. Um, he was, he, his wife is a social butterfly, and he, he not so much, right? He's, he's cool being by himself, but his wife decided to invite all of these families from their children's school over to their house for dinner. Surprise! I invited four families over from our kids' school for dinner. He's like, 
what? Yeah, they're, they're going to be here when you get home. Get ready. It's like, oh, great. Okay. So he goes inside and he's, you know, trying to be social and trying to connect with everyone. And it's all new families and kids are running throughout his house. And then all of a sudden there, there was this little boy there and we'll call him Toby. I don't even remember his, his name, but Toby was running around. He was calling all the other kids names, right? It was your classic bodily function attached to a body part, right? That was just it. Combine the two, you got a great toddler curse word, right? So he's running around, he's calling all the kids, all of these names, and then finally, uh, he, his, my friend's daughter came up to him and she said, Daddy, uh, Toby keeps, and this is in front of all the parents, she said, Toby keeps calling me this, and sure enough, Toby comes running around the corner and he's screaming, tattletale, tattletale, she's a tattletale, and, all the, and, and so my buddy looks over at Toby's dad and Toby's dad's like, these <laughs> kids are so funny, you know, it's not a big deal. Kids will be kids, right? Just letting his kid act up in the whole house. So my, my buddy was like, okay, all right, great. So he said, he knelt down, he looked at Toby, he said, Toby, come here. He said, hey, Toby, want you to know something, pal? Your dad may not spank your butt, but in my house I will if you keep calling my daughter those names. Toby's dad, Toby's dad was like, whoa, 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 man. We don't, we don't need all of that in here. And my buddy said, I looked at Toby's dad and I said, hey, friend, you can lead your house however you want, but when you're in my house, that doesn't fly. Pack your stuff and get out. <laughs> Here's what I know. This is how we separate the Enneagram 8s from the Enneagram 9s. The Enneagram 8s are like, that's my guy. That's my guy. That's, I can get on board with that. The Enneagram nines are like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. Like, I just, I just feel kind of crawl. I was like, yeah, yeah. That's, he said, you can pack it and you can get out of my house if that's how you, he's, what he's saying is this, do whatever you want out here, but in my house, it's different. In my house, we don't let people run around and just humiliate and talk down to and tear people apart. In my house, it's different. When Jesus is addressing servitude, when he's addressing what it means to be a servant, he is saying, in my house, it is different. Something should be different in here. I worked forever with a guy, uh, I won't tell you his name, but he was, he was the COO of Hess Oil. Uh, very, very influential, been in the oil business 40 plus years. He was just a major player. He was super influential, awesome guy, managed hundreds of millions of dollars in budget and had thousands of employees under him. Not hundreds, thousands of employees under him. And every Sunday morning, I would meet him in a parking lot at 7 a.m. and he would set up cones, he would stand out there in the blazing heat, he would direct traffic, he'd be a sweaty mess, he'd come in, he'd sit down in church, he'd receive from the Lord, he'd go back out, he'd direct all the traffic out, and then he would clean up everything, one of the first to show up, one of the last to leave. This is a guy who on Monday morning put on a suit pulled into a private parking garage with reserved seat or with reserved parking, took an elevator up to his office and had people across the country asking to meet with him. Yet on Sunday, it was different. Yet on Sunday, he walked into the Lord's house and he said, you know what, I'm just a servant. 
I, and I will tell you this, this is a guy whose influence, I, I watched him, I was friends with him for a long time. This is, he embodied the servitude. When he was in God's house, it was different. He wasn't the CEO of a massive oil company. He was a servant just looking to serve the Lord. And God did something in him through that. God transformed him. And he told me once, I'll never forget this. He said, doing this makes me a better executive. Learning how to come into God's house and just be a humble servant. Learning how to come into God's house and deal with Christians parking at me because they want to back their truck into a different stall. Learning how to just come in and be humble and be loving and sweat and wave at people and welcome cars in and everything. Learning how to do this made me better for out there. In God's house, it should be different. And the difference in here should make impact out there. The difference in here, people should look at you and say, man, there is something different about that person. It's being a servant. It is understanding what servitude and being a servant is. So uh, here's the easiest way to do it. I'm going to give you three things that serving and being a servant is not from Jesus's words here. Okay. I think it's the easiest way to figure it out. It's not what is it? It's what is it not? Here are the three things that being a servant is not according to Jesus in Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Number one, being a servant or serving is not for status. Being a servant is not for status. Matthew 20, 21 through 23, what was the request? The request was status. Can my boys sit at your right, not your left? Listen, Matthew 20, 21 through 23, what is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea what you're talking about. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, listen to him again, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. In other words, he's saying, look, this is, this is not up to me. This is God's business, and you don't even understand what you are asking me for. Ironically enough, Jesus already made this clear. He's already addressed this. There was this mindset and assumption that Jesus was going to rule and reign as an earthly king, overthrow the Roman Empire, and reinstate Jerusalem and the Jewish nation to prominent power, right? That was the whole, when Jesus was walking the earth, that was the mindset. So there was this thought that if I'm one of Jesus' disciples, I'm gonna be one of the king's helpers. When Jesus rises to earthly power, I'm gonna be one of the men. I'm gonna be one of the guys with him. So Jesus addresses this in Matthew 19, 27 through 30. It says, then Peter said to him, we're giving up everything to follow you. What will we get? Isn't <laughs> that amazing? Hey, I'll, I'll, join the, the, I'll join this team, but do I get kolaches? <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, I'll join the kids' team, but, you know, like, do I get free coffee or anything? Right? Do, what, do I, what do I get? <laughs> right? Well, this is about me, after all. Hey, I'll, I'll help. I'll serve. You guys have breakfast tacos? Like, what, what can I do here, right? He says, what do we get? Says, then Peter asked, we're giving up everything to follow you. What do we get? Jesus replied, I assure you, 
that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times much in return and will inherit eternal life. Verse 30, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. You think that was news they wanted to hear? Do you think it was news they wanted to hear? Don't, don't receive what was negative as a positive, right? Because what's he have to do two chapters later and one sermon later? He has to tell them again, you don't know what you're asking. You don't understand what you're asking me. You're asking me for it again. He's saying, listen, you're gonna give up house, you're gonna give up money, you're gonna give up clothing, you're gonna give up food, you're gonna give up all of these things, but hey, it's gonna be great for you in eternal life, right? And they're like, okay, great. But uh, hey, Jesus, can we sit at your right and at your left? And again, he's saying, you don't know what you're asking. This is not about status here on earth. In fact, serving is more likely to produce suffering than it is status. What does Jesus say? You're going to give up home. You're going to give up car. You're going to give up luxury. You're going to give up all of this prominence. You, you may have to give up some of these things, but don't worry. Greater awaits you when you inherit eternal life. And that's okay, because what does suffering produce? Submission. And why is submission important? Because we are a body of people that willfully submit ourselves to the truth and life of the gospel. That's what we do, right? So we do. I have fleshly urges, but I have willfully submitted myself to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means I don't do what I long to do, but I give that up, I suffer through it, and I give it up because I wanna be a better servant for Jesus. I wanna be a better servant in submission to the gospel of truth. Let me try to illustrate it for you. Uh, who, who in here enjoys dieting? Come on, I know there's gotta be at least one of you if not, man, you, I, I love you. I'm, I'm on board. Nobody, nobody, nobody even willing. They're scared to admit it. So they're like, I love keto. It's so good, right? No, nobody. If you see them, if somebody did raise their hand, those are the people that are miserable to be around when you go out to dinner and stuff like that. You literally go out, order something good, and they're like, oh, I'll have chicken, no butter, no oil, vegetables cooked in water. You know, like, it's like, why? Why am I even here with you, you know? Well, um, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I, so I've lost 19 pounds, right? Yeah. I'm still 10 pounds heavier than when I started the church. What have you guys done to me, right? I mean, it's just, it's just gonna happen that way. Added kids, added weight, COVID didn't help, here we are, right? Um, but at the beginning of the year, I started feeling like something wasn't right with my body. So, uh, and I was working out, I was eating well, nothing was changing. So I went to see a professional and sure enough, my body was a mess. My hormones were all messed up. My thyroid was all messed up. I, my blood sugar was pre-diabetic numbers. I mean, they were sky high. Yeah, imagine that, right? You can't eat a package of Oreos and have low blood sugar. I'm like, what, how does that happen, you know? So anyway, uh, the, I'm sitting with, with the doctor and he's a brilliant guy and he said, here's what you need to do. You need to go on this diet. And I was like, you know, really? And he was like, yeah, no sugar, no carbs. What? 
He's like, yeah, man, you're, you're pre-diabetic at 36. You probably want to figure this out. And so uh, it was what happened. I went no sugar, no carbs, and I did that uh, March 24th. And I haven't had an Oreo, and I can't remember how long, right? But I'll tell you the worst thing in the world was when the first time my family ate dessert in front of me. I was like, you people are sick. <laughs> Why would you do that? You know I have high blood sugar, right? And now you're just going to sit down in front of me, and you guys are going to hammer all of this dessert right in front of me. And Kanan's sitting there like, can I have three more chocolate chip cookies, Dad? They're so good. Chocolate all over his face. <laughs> you know? Let me tell you about it. It was so hard. I was going through withdrawals. Literally, my brain felt like it was going to explode. My body was, was just frustrated and annoyed. I had insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I was literally, the first week detoxing sugar was absolutely, it was the most difficult thing that I think I've ever had to do. And I fasted coffee for 30 days, right? So get off of the sugar and then all of a sudden something began to change in me right? Something began to, to feel different. And then all of a sudden, I started developing a discipline over these urges. And now all of a sudden, we had Mother's Day, right? And we had 700 cake balls in this room, some of my favorite things on the planet. And guess how many cake balls I had? Thank you. Who said three? <laughs> Rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I didn't touch one. But you know what was even better than not touching one? Was not having that urge and desire to fuel my body with it. Something changed through suffering and through challenges and through difficult times. Something changed where I learned what submission was. And now I can face that submission and be a better servant. That's exactly what becoming a servant is about. It is not about gaining status. In fact, you may suffer a little. But that suffering is gonna produce a submission in you that makes you a better servant for the kingdom. Number one, being a servant is not about status. Number two, serving or being a servant isn't entitled. It's not an entitlement. Matthew 20, 24 through 26. Listen to the entitlement of the other disciples. When the 10 other disciples heard what Jesus and John had asked, they were indignant. That is a Greek word for jealously grieved. They were so jealous, they were grieving. They were so jealous, they were weeping about it. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over people, over their people, and officials flaunt their authority and power over them, but among you, it will be different. I think we just need to come to a really clear understanding that God doesn't owe us anything to be his servant. We have to understand that. God does not owe us anything to be his servant. He has given us the freedom to be his servant, so he doesn't owe it. Here's the question, does God owe me more than Jesus? Does he owe me more than Jesus? If the answer is no, he doesn't owe me more than Jesus. He's given me everything in Jesus. He satisfied my soul in Jesus. He saved my soul in Jesus. He has welcomed the Holy Spirit into my life through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and the Spirit raised Jesus to life. Does God owe me more than Jesus? If he doesn't owe me more than Jesus, then I have everything that I need, which means God owes me nothing 
to be his servant. I willfully get to lay down my life and be his servant. It is a total mind shift change. Entitlement is thinking you are owed something. Entitlement is thinking you are owed something. Servitude is recognizing you've been given everything. One of them says, give it to me. The other one says, I'll give it away. Entitlement is thinking, I I deserve something for this. Someone better give me something for this. Servitude is saying, I've got everything that I need, and I'm just happy to serve. Andy triggered me uh, a couple weeks ago. He was talking about in the offering, he was talking about going on a missions trip and giving away his clothes. I, I literally had an identical experience in Johannesburg, South Africa. So uh, I traveled a number of times many years ago to Johannesburg, South Africa, and I, I spoke all over South Africa, Cape Town, Durban, Johannesburg, uh, love Joburg. And while I was there preaching, uh, before I went, I was like, you know what? The one thing I need if I'm gonna be a world traveler right now is a really cool watch. I don't know why. I was like, I I need a really cool watch. Like one that has multiple world clocks on it because I'm a world traveler now, you know? One that has like, oh, my time is this, but the country I'm going to is 12 hours ahead. And here's a, and I don't know why, but I was just hung up on this watch. And so I found like the coolest watch that I could find that had all of the features that I wanted. And I bought this watch and I was like, man, I was traveling with it. I was showing it off. I was like, hey, I'm traveling with all this watch. I thought it was such a big deal. And so I get to Joburg and I'm setting it to the right time, you know, and I'm, I'm just, it was like my one prized possession that I had with me. And so I get to SOS Children's Orphanage, which was an orphanage where kids were living whose parents had died from AIDS and HIV, right? So I'm there and all these kids are playing and they have absolutely nothing. And this little eight-year-old kid named Dylan comes walking up to me and he's like, you know, waving at me and I wave at him and he grabs my arm and he looks at my wrist and he looks up at me. And I was, and I mean, I, I talk about the Holy Spirit, right? I was like, no, no, no. And he's staring at the watch and, I, and, the, and the Spirit is saying, give him the watch, give him the watch, give him the watch. And the flesh is saying, he don't even know how to tell time. <laughs> Why would I give him the watch when he don't know how to tell time? It's got American time on it. Like he don't know. And I mean, he's holding it and he's staring at it, and he and I played soccer together. He showed me this little room where there was this little mat that he slept on, and all of his possessions were kept in a milk crate off to the side, and he had two outfits that he rotated and shoes with holes in it, and here I am, proud of this watch. And man, I remember taking that watch off my wrist, and I remember as we were leaving, I I knelt down and I handed it to him. And he didn't even know what to do with it. He was was just like staring at it like, oh, oh my gosh, like look at what I got. And you know what happened? When I was getting ready to travel, I was entitled to a watch. I need a really cool watch because I'm going to travel the world. When I got to South Africa and I met Dylan and I spent time in his environment, I realized something. I have way too much. I realized, man, I have way too much. And I have been blessed. I could buy that watch over and over again. I have been so blessed that I have to give this away. That's the difference in being entitled to serve and being a servant to serve. Entitled to serve says, I deserve this. Serving, being a servant to serve says, what can I give away? How can I, how can I just be of selfless, 
humble servitude to the gospel. I'm not entitled to it. I don't want status from it. How can I just give myself away? How can I just be of service for nothing in return because Jesus has already given me everything? What is the last thing that serving is not? Serving or being a servant cannot be self-centered. It is literally the antithesis of what it means to be a servant. It cannot be self-serving, cannot be self-centered. Matthew 20, 26 through 27. Jesus says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Again, this is not the first time that Jesus has communicated this. In fact, in Matthew 18, 1 through 4, just prior to this moment, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Isn't that amazing? All of these disciples are following Jesus and they're continually trying to find out who's going to be the greatest when Jesus is striving to be the least. Continually, can I sit at your right? Can I sit at your left? Who's the greatest? Who's the most important in the kingdom of heaven? And the entire time, Jesus is saying, you don't get it. I am not here to fill myself up. I'm here to pour myself out. I'm here to empty myself. So let's, let's follow along. Matthew 18, 1 through 4. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We have a massive contextual problem with this verse. Because we live in a Western culture that would interpret this verse through a glorified children Gerber commercial mindset where when we hear Jesus say, become like this child, we, we think, oh, it should be this smiling, laughing, waddling, cute outfit, curly-haired, giggling child. Like we should be these humble, just fun-loving, joyful, dreaming. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. Children in this culture and context were slaves. Children, and the, the, the idea for a child was when you were a child, you served the home. That's st still, it, it's still in today. It's, we have a very Western mindset about the glorification and worship of children. You go to a tribal country, I just told you about being in Africa. You know what 10-year-old kids did in Africa? They walked and they fetched water and they brought it back to the house. You know what they did? They cooked, they cleaned, they swept, they worked. They were seen as servants of the house, that it was their privilege to live there, they served the home, right? Listen to Paul when he emphasizes this about children, he alludes to it, Galatians 4 verse 1. Listen, I'm not, I have three of my own, right? I'm not proposing let's make these kids our workers, right? But I'm just trying to give you context, okay? Galatians 4 verse 1, think of it this way, listen to Paul. If a father dies and leaves as an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. 
even though they actually own everything their father had. In other words, he's saying, listen, children are like servants in the home until they grow up and until they can build their own home. So when Jesus says, for you to become great in the kingdom of heaven, become like a child, what is he saying? Become a servant. Become someone who does what is expected to be done in the house and does it with the right attitude, does it respectfully, and does it well. He's not saying just be happy and carefree and joyful. No, he's saying, listen, if you want to be great, you're going to have to become like a child. And a child is a servant. A child serves. A child works the home with respect and with honor. He's talking about servitude. Understand this. Jesus is Lord not by king but by servant. We have to understand that. Jesus is Lord not because he came and became a king. Jesus is Lord because he came and became a servant. If we are to embody what it means to live and do the things of Jesus as followers of Jesus, what do you think we become? Servants. What do we not strive for? Status. What do we not walk around entitled about? Ourselves. What can it not be? It cannot be self-centered. It has to be Christ-centered. There was a study that was done, it was fascinating. They took 100 people and they gave 50 of them a $100 bill. And they told them, you can take this $100 bill and you can do whatever you want with it as long as you don't spend it on yourself. You have to spend it on somebody else. Okay, that group left. They took another 50, they gave them a $100 bill, and they said, go spend this $100 bill on yourself. They came back and they did a sociological study and they studied the psychology of the people once they came back and here's what they found. They found the ones that went out and spent the money on somebody else were 70% more joyful than the ones who spent it on themselves. I'll give you an even stronger statistic. Those who serve God selfishly experience zero joy. Those who serve God selflessly as a servant experience a hundred percent more joy. That's what it means to be a servant. It's not self-centered. It can't be self-centered or it's not servitude. It's not giving unto the Lord. So let's answer the question and we'll wrap up here. What is a servant? What is servitude? We know what it's not, right? What is it not? Number one, it's not for status. Number two, it's not for entitlement. Number three, it's not self-centered. So what is it? Here are the words of Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 28. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does it mean to be a servant? It is serving and modeling Jesus by giving our lives to the gospel. That's what it means to be a servant. It is serving and modeling Jesus, giving our lives unto the gospel. It is saying, man, the number one priority in my life is the gospel. The number one priority in my life is serving unto the gospel and is loving a brother and sister unto Christ. It is serving in the church. It's serving in the community. It's serving in the business I lead. It's serving in my workplace. It's serving in my marriage. It is serving my children. It's serving my family. It is just becoming a servant modeling Jesus and giving my life to the gospel.